Scotty and Tifano, Altirona, my hearty, my welcome back to another episode of I Yum. Oh, Yum. That intro is always so shit whenever we do it on Zoom. We're so <laughs> we, uncoordinated. No, no, no. No. We've started. We'll keep soldiering on through. Uh, hello, listeners. Welcome back. Or should I say, welcome to our season two of Or Yum. We have here. We have left the path of season one behind us and have begun a new chapter, uh, one which is being finally recorded after your poll uh, results were submitted over a course of a year. Um, we finally decided that it was an overwhelming yes for um, recording the podcast. And so now we're here recording it on Zoom because, of course, we are now adults and uh, some of us have chosen to uh, go to university. Um, and so we know only one of us is still remaining in the uh, state school system (laughs) so we've had to change our format we can't of course do it in the classic radio kidnapper studio um we've decided to do it on zoom and we're kind of taking it more into our own hands rather than having to uh, fit to the policy of a radio broadcasting station we can do this um a lot more to the way that we want to be able to run this podcast can we swear yeah we can swear now Oh, yep. We can yeah. say swear words. We can finally swear without like going, oh shit. We never <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> no more thanking Radio Kidnappers. But of course, thank you, of course, for um two Radio Kidnappers us in our first part of this uh, podcasting journey. But it is on to another chapter, folks. And uh, here today we've got um Jack returning after about Four episodes or three episodes? It's been a while. Uh, we've been missing your hot takes. And of course, oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we've got Kate, um, who is now our equally our second most reliable podcaster. Because of course, Kate, who never missed an episode, has decided to miss this episode. Um, <laughs> which yeah. is quite disappointing. So I've actually won the uh, episode uh, race. Episode turn well up, race. Thank well you, done. thank you. I th- I'm expecting wow. some prize in the future, but uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see for that one. Alrighty. Now we've got introductions over, and of course, still forgot about Samantha. <laughs> uh, and of course, oh Samantha's never here, so uh, yeah. Well, hopefully she'll be back next week. Um, she of course is in a busy life. Uni life is a busy life. Um, pardon? Oh yes, we've got um special audience guests. Uh, Charlotte Townsend here who is covering for Samantha she's in the background um, and she'll be weighing in her very important perspective throughout this uh, podcast tonight um, so <laughs> um, okay so beginning the topic obviously there's been uh, two massive pieces of news that have just come out over the past uh, couple of weeks and couple of days uh, one is very based in New Zealand, and one, of course, is based um, in the national sphere of uh, politics, and that, of course, is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We're going to begin tonight by um, sort of exploring um, Putin's justifications for the war. Are they justified? Um, And is this war uh, justified? Um, Obviously, we've heard from international uh, law and political science experts who have different arguments on that. Um, and then we'll also be exploring Russia's failure for a quick invasion. You know, is this the outcome that they want? Uh, and then we'll move on to the protests, eradication, which happened just yesterday. 
um, and looking at how the police dealt with that and was that justified. So really beginning with the uh, Ukraine invasion, what are our thoughts on Putin's justification of blaming uh, Ukraine for the fall of the Soviet Union? We'll begin with you, Jack. Um, I actually have been fairly um, confused, actually, around what Putin's justification is. So um, would you be able to actually, like... You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear your Putin did it just for fun, by the sound of it. He just, he's just yeah. sounds like a pretty crazy guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're back, guys. We're back in full force with quality yeah. takes on hot topic political issues. Um, okay, so in terms of Ukraine's invasion, there is the justification that Putin is using. There's kind of two angles he's going with it. Uh, one, of course, is the fact that there are, um, are Russian breakaway separatist areas in Ukraine, um, and his invasion is very much based on recognizing those separatist states. He's already done that. Uh, before he invaded, he recognized uh, the, I think, one of the regions called the Donbass region. I can't remember what the other ones are called. There are two little separatist states um, in Ukraine that are predominantly ethnically Russian and support uh, Russia and its objectives. And then, of course, the second one, which came out only the other day, was very strange by blaming Ukraine for the fall of the Soviet Union, which does not make any kind of sense. So I'm very confused with his justification. With the that. would be quite mad. Mm. Um, mm. But in terms of like international response to this invasion, what are our thoughts on... Uh, both the NATO and the uh, United Nations just supporting sanctions over military operations in the Ukraine. Um, did you guys see them walking all like walking out during the Russian foreign minister's no, like speech? Yes, everyone in the UN just like walked out um, while the Shit. foreign policy person was uh the diplomat was was you know giving his speech um i don't think that yeah the world's you know trying not to you know deal with this kind of stuff like they've, they've had enough obviously mm. um and so that kind of you know signifies maybe russia becoming a sort of hermit kingdom trying to move away obviously you know that is happening with um there being sanctions and stuff placed mm. upon the trade of russia uh and Putin's prepared for that uh prepared for you know those things to happen i think this has been quite long planned kind of invasion yeah yeah well invasions especially with the amount of troops and like weapons that he's built up that just can't happen overnight this is a decision that's been long in the making and i think that a lot of nations especially like new zealand are just sort of closing their eyes to the whole thing because we can't deal with that like a whole another war is just not something that the world is ready to be battling especially like the amount of power that Russia holds is so strong that they could just like nuke the whole of New Zealand overnight you know so I think that's why a lot of these countries are sort of taking the back seat and just sort of saying oh we don't support this but we're not really going to do that much because mm. Until they, they invade, the I think until they invade more countries than Ukraine, then there won't be there'll be there'll be no like boots on the ground sort of yeah. Of I don't believe uh, from the US or allies. 
so what we're so what we're essentially saying is that Russia has the potential to get away with um, invading their former you know Soviet lands, and the international yeah. community just stands by and doesn't support uh, the sovereignty and the independence of countries that are being bullied by a larger power. Uh, well, uh, is it, is it justifiable happening. to just let that happen, or should we be seeing more actions with boots on the ground uh, from countries like the US and, of course, organisations like NATO? Well, that could create more conflict than just letting Ukraine be invaded. Which, if you're a country like not willing to let your troops, you know, be killed and get involved in that sort of sense, you may be pretty hesitant. Um, mm. I know that the US loves to get involved. But um, we've only seen really diplomatic moves from them. There's no massive, you know, uh, military operation that's going to happen from them Um, because that will spark larger conflicts. Uh, You know, you're going to involve other countries. China, we haven't really seen much from them so far, but that Mm. is something we need to look out for um, because if they ally with, Russia, that's we've got a World War Three kind of situation on our hands. Yeah, well, that's the issue. Is if if China gets involved with Russia, then that's a lot of power. That's like a lot of the world's power. So it's it's a pretty scary situation because the amount of weapons and force that they hold is just it's not fair when you consider the smaller countries. But I think. Yeah, nothing's going to happen unless they take further action. And I think what countries need, more countries need to be doing is saying, okay, this is going to happen. Maybe we need to take on like refugees. We need to help people. We need to just help the people rather than military wise, because I I don't think there's any way you're going to stop Russia unless they want to stop. But I mean, The thing is, is that we've had action from organizations like the United Nations in the past, the Uniting for Peace resolution that supported South Korea in the Korean War, which also involved a great power, China. Um, The Vietnam War is another example of massive U.S. involvement into a conflict. Yes, it didn't necessarily include global powers, but I mean, it's still a conflict that they were willing to um, get involved in. Is the U.S. abandoning? Isn't this displaying? Um, isn't this displaying kind of the fact that the US will only get involved in conflicts, not for what they say, which is about protecting things like democracy and sovereignty, but instead only when it fits its ideological goals, like mm. Ukraine, uh, not Ukraine, like Vietnam, like Korea, like Iraq, like the Gulf War. Um, it just seems very yeah. strange to me that they're suddenly like, oh, we don't really do that anymore. We're kind of like, we'll just do some sanctions. Yeah, I think if they had more of a benefit from helping Ukraine, I think they would get more involved. But because it's Ukraine seems so passive compared to Russia, I don't think any of the countries feel like they would benefit from helping because they would just get their troops like at, put at risk. You know, there's just there's a lot of risks for countries, and I think. Standing up to Russia takes a lot of power, but it's more of like mental power, you know, standing up to a bully type of situation than, I don't know. Ukraine's not part of NATO, right? And that's where the problem lies. So NATO 
wish to join NATO. Um, sorry, NATO wished to join NATO. It's been a long day. <laughs> Ukraine did wish to join NATO and expressed interest in a membership, but of course these things take a lot of time. But what I think that that displays in the fact that Ukraine was wishing to join NATO and NATO's lack of a response is I think that also brings into question, is NATO actually committed to standing up against Russia? And it's, you know, because fundamentally its purpose is a anti-Russian bloc. And if a country there is willing to join it, you know, and, you know, is wanting to join it because they're being invaded by another country, well, doesn't that call into question NATO's response to other conflicts with actual NATO members? Um, I mean, yes. is it really standing up for what it believes in, which is the defense of European sovereignty? Um, which is which certainly puts it into a tricky perspective because it like feels like the international community is just doing fuck all when we've seen with other conflicts, they've poured huge amounts of resources into things like Afghanistan, Iraq, Korea. And here we are in like a, you know, in a, in a conflict that has been, you know, has been known for a very long time is going to happen. I mean, Putin's wanted Ukraine since he got back. I mean, Russia's wanted the territories of Ukraine since they got, you know, they left them in the, the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. Um, but the lack of response from the international community is, you know, disregard is, is kind of, yeah, it's not what I believe the international community's kind of role is, you know, which is about the do you not see Ukraine as, do you not see like there being a potential for a proxy war between um, those kind of Western alliances versus Russia, China sort of thing? You, or do you believe like Ukraine's not viewed as important enough to these kind of countries? Oh, 100%. I think with the, with the, um, the latter statement there, Ukraine doesn't have anything. Like, I mean, the only important bit about Ukraine was the strategic areas of Crimea, which Russia took anyway back in like 2014, and that because mm. they had such good connections to the Black Sea. It has the port of Sevastopol, which was very important uh, for Russia, was one of their main naval bases, and they lost it in 1991. But in terms of Ukraine, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard conflict because then we look at countries like Vietnam, which did become proxy wars, but I mean, there's nothing in Vietnam. There wasn't anything in Vietnam at that time period for the U.S. to really justifiably invade it, you know, but other than the fact that it was potentially going to become a communist nation. And if that is, you know, if that's the sort of level that warrants, the level of reasoning that warrants a response, then certainly I think Ukraine is worthy of a more than just, you know, a worthy of a proxy war rather than this, like, you know, we don't really care about Ukraine kind of approach. Um, certainly I think it, yeah, it, it just creates a dynamic that I think places mistrust in international organizations that have been set up to provide and defend um, against these sort of aggressive expansion tactics. I mean, aggressive expansion hasn't really been seen since World War II. And that's why the UN was set up as a block against these mm. kind of aggressive invasions. And here we are, I've got mm. a major global power invading a, you know, quite a major secondary power. Um, not, not a good kind of situation. See, I'm quite unsure because on the on on that hand, yes, it seems like Ukraine could be viewed as you know unimportant to the US. But also on this on the other hand, you know, um, the US economy kind of relies upon going to war. You know, the um, military industrial like complex. Which, mm. You know, that's how their economy works. Like they need to keep going to war to pay troops to you know keep their economy ticking. So I see like. 
I see both sides. Like I'm really unsure what's going to happen because you know it it could benefit the US hugely, but it could also pose a massive risk of escalating into wider Definitely. scale conflict that no one's prepared for. Hundred uh, percent. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly it's a tricky quite situation. Scary. Yeah, it is. It's really scary. Mm. Oh, I, I mean, like we we're in New Zealand, right? Like if we were living in Ukraine, it would be a totally different story with how we felt. You know. Ukraine yeah. wouldn't feel unimportant from a global perspective. We'd mm. be saying, no, like, this is our livelihood. Yeah. Um, I, I do... One thing that does interest me, actually, is that um, this war is being played, you know, over and over through TikToks. Yeah. Um, and that's a really, that's a really interesting oh, concept because God. we've never really had that before, right? Yeah. The social um, media and war, that is just so nuts to me. And I've actually yeah. seen scams of people being like, here you can donate to help ukraine mm. here and then it's a scam and it's like what how are people doing stuff like this like yeah. monetizing off of a war yeah yeah it's not great yeah so um, I mean, it, it's going to have a whole lot of social ramifications that we we can't even conceive right now um it's it's, it's just they've taken the war from and put it into so many aspects. Like there's actual like sexual art of Russian troops invading Ukraine, and the it's That's, like that a sex thing. It what? does exist. My <laughs> friend sent it to me, and that I was like, "What the hell?" It was a drawing of Russia as a clown trying to get on top of Ukraine, and I was like, "What the actual fuck is Wait, going down?" Can you here? send that to me? No. <laughs> No, because it's so crazy that people are, like, posing for photos, like, in front of, oh, and then the fake videos of people, like, yeah, I'm part of the army. Here's a video from the invasion, and it's, like, a video. Oh, have you seen, like, the, like, thirst traps of, like, Ukrainian soldiers where they're, like. Oh, it is so bad. Like, why? It's about to shoot some people, like, what? That's not something to glorify. It's just wrong. It's just. When people are dying, when people are being traumatized, their homes and their life and their children and everything is being ripped away from people. And then these people are like, haha, funny, let's make porn out of it. Like, what? <laughs> I just can't what believe that goes What sort of human being is like, sit back and go, that's a great idea? You know, there's a market here. Let us make Ukrainian high. war porn. They were definitely high. Um, yeah, they, they must. But, but is it, is it, you know, also a good thing in a way because you've now got people seeing this war, seeing the bad things just as much as they're seeing the, the weird things that we were talking about. Um, does that does that create larger public demand for intervention? You know what I well, mean? It's a yeah, double-edged kind of sword it, because... Yeah, because mm. I know for sure a lot of people are getting their information from, like, especially social media from this. Like, it's being yeah. broadcasted. It's become mainstream. <laughs> But what amazes me is that these other wars, like Palestine and all that, why don't they get the same attention that Ukraine is getting when the same stuff is happening? You know, there's so many things going on, and this war is just beginning, really. It's, It's so new to us because we haven't had something happen like this since World War II, and that was a long time ago and things have changed and that is frightening. And I've seen posts on social media of people being like, if you know info about where the Ukrainian people are hiding or 
like what military they have don't publicize it because pe- mm. these people need their privacy and that's oh, yeah, so Russia crazy. will have like whole like rooms set up of people scrolling through media looking for <laughs> imagine that there's stuff. just a room of like Russian troops scrolling through TikTok looking for oh, there will be that stuff because that, that's pretty rewarding that's true positions information all right it's we're short on time so, nice. so we are going to move on uh so obviously the the, own, the world war going within New Zealand down the road from you so uh, can you can you see wait I'm sorry can you see the protests from your little area no no we, we can't see the protests no oh. but we we oh, did see sucks. some of the smoke and we could smell it because of course there were like multiple fires I mean the government building old government buildings which is like the faculty of law here um, almost burnt down as well because it is a wooden structure, even though it looks like stone, it is wooden, um, and there were lighting fires around that. Um, yeah, so we'll move on from the Ukrainian invasion. I think we're, as like time develops on the invasion and we get to see more, a clearer picture about like what were the issues with the invasion um, from a, like a Russian perspective, you know, like the logistics wise and stuff like that, I think we'll cover that in another episode, once we sort of, there have been some more major events like Kiev gets taken, if it gets taken, of course, or there's a massive, like, Ukrainian, you know, massive drive, and then suddenly, you know, Russia is back in Moscow, and we've got, like, a Ukrainian government that controls, like, Moscow, and here we go. It's like Ukrainians are, like, the world-dominating power now. Um, so we'll see how that conflict goes, um, and we'll revisit that when we've got the full team here as well, so we can get all the perspectives. Um, about the Ukrainian-Russian conflict. But we will move on to um, what was a pretty historical moment for New Zealand, uh, which happened yesterday, with the um, police deciding after 22 days of protesting that um, they were going to retake Parliament grounds from the anti-mandate protesters um, and yeah, make sure that they get off the Parliament grounds and um, we can reclaim our Parliament back. And, you know, removing them from the streets around that, which the disrupting the lives of Wellingtonians, um, also um, taking back the Papatea campus um, for Victoria University, which was being occupied as well, and making sure that businesses and people residential areas around Parliament, um, they could access them without having the threat of being harassed, etc. Uh, what is our thoughts on uh, yesterday's events uh, in terms they, of both? I'll let you go, Jack. They sent yep. their message. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like 23 days, by that point, you could probably start maybe leaving i mean yeah they weren't getting what they wanted in terms of you know legislative change but i feel like yeah obviously they must have been really dissatisfied by probably not being listened to um and i'm sure there were a lot of like anti-mandate protesters out there with actually good intentions but they were far and few um yeah and it, that's really unfortunate for them because it was the the violent ones who uh really kind of screwed that over for everyone i mean the burnings and stuff, uh, I saw a lot of claims that it, they weren't part of the protest, those people, they were just hooligans or whatever. Uh, and I don't know how true that is. And yeah. I don't think any of us will ever know how true that is. I um, think what made that difficult about like who's like the protesters and who's not is because there was so many different groups with so many different ideas. You know, you had right wing extremists, you had like, um, you know, uh, you know self-determining Māori activists, you had... Um, people that believed in QAnon conspiracies. You had just such a range of individuals that I'd think to say that these people weren't part of the protest is so difficult to say because, like, 
who actually is running the protest? What is the main group that's running the protest? It was so hard because they, there wasn't like one group that stood above them all as being like, oh, here's all the anti-mandate people. And then there's just like a few like anti-masks um, and anti-COVID and whatever, because they all wore tinfoil hats. Yeah. They all ended up, they were like, all ended up with the EMF radiation from the fucking concrete blocks. Like, oh my <laughs> God. I thought it was, it, the issue came from, it was messy from the start. Their goals, what was set out, what they were going to do was so messy from the start that that's part of the issue of why it became so bad. Like, I am totally in support of people using their democratic right to protest, you know? Everyone had has the right to protest. But I think what the problem is is that it's, it should never be violent. People should never be put at risk, whether those people are police or individuals, children, I don't know. It's or you know, even the government and people shouldn't be at risk. That's that is just American, you know. Unfortunately, that, that's one of the most effective ways to send a message though. What are we gonna are we gonna hang Jacinda? Is that is that gonna send a message? No, no, no. But like violent like throughout history those kind of violent protests have been the way messages have been sent i mean i don't i don't i agree like i don't agree that's the way to go but yeah i don't, I don't uh, yeah i think well, yes that was, there should be peaceful protests but I, I think like it was never gonna remain fully peaceful because there are always people who are going to come along and try and inflame things i mean I think, yeah. I think the thing is also is that like we we reference the kind of like the violent more violent protests of like the past of like union strikes in the early 20th century um you know things like um springbok tour you know very kind of violent times in our history i think i wouldn't say that we've fully learned from those types of protests but i think for a time there a lot of those um, many of those kind of like big ticket issues like when it came to like forsha and seabed climate change you know we we did have a kind of a an understanding of etiquette when it came to protesting I mean, you know, you just sort of turn up for a day, you you know, you disrupt the lives of Wellingtonians for a day, and that sucks for Wellingtonians, but then, you know, you sort of go home afterwards, or, you know, maybe you stay there for a couple of days, but this was like, this was a completely different kind of thing, you know, instead of, yeah. instead of just, not even, like, it would have been fine if they just tented in Parliament, but it was the problem, on Parliament grounds, it was the problem that they went into, like, the law campus, and, you know, blocked bus routes, and now what you're doing is you're, you know, you're, you're really disrupting the lives and freedoms of other people in in those vicinities that have got yeah. nothing to do with the protest at all um, that's what i found really really ironic is that they're all about freedom and yet they were harassing people for wearing masks their choice to wear masks just around the streets to to be vaccinated that they're for freedom and for choice, but yet they don't believe in that when it comes to people who want to be vaccinated, who want to wear masks, who want to just live their normal life. Because it's maybe the part of it was the message was sent because it's an inconvenience to normal people, but it's not the normal people you should be inconveniencing. It should be the, the people who need to hear what you're trying to protest. But also, uh, I think as well is that when it came to um like their treatment of parliament grounds you'd think that a group that is wanting to hear you know give their message across in a respectful manner would treat the grounds in which they're camping with respect i took a walk through there 
Um, with my mask on, I was harassed for that. Uh, not as bad as other people. Um, you just you, know, you just ignore them. You keep on walking, kind of thing. Um, but there was like the treatment of the grounds, like there was dumping of sewage into stormwater gutters, which has now polluted Upper Harbour. Um, there was there was just they've just dumped all their rubbish on the side of the old government buildings. I took a couple of photos of those. Um, it's it's like the smell. It of was piss. not. It yeah, it wasn't like done in a respectful manner. 900 AD England. Like, I've walked through London at, like, peak hours. There's, oh, like, totally straw on the ground, that. mud. I got feces on my shoes. Like, it wasn't a great time. And you'd think that even, like, there would be, with all the money that they had and all of, like, the leaders that they had, that there would be, at least when it came to, like, the living standards, there'd be some organization around, like, dumping rubbish, making sure that there were access to toilets, making sure that there was a, you know, adequate, you know, places to put tents up you know but the problem was is that because it wasn't organized because it wasn't um a level a degree of restrictions it was messy they camped on the you know the law campus they you know they graffitied on heritage buildings that had nothing to do with government you know we're looking at like private offices and shit Uh, it's just not you know if you want your message to be heard and respected you've got to showcase the respect to the people around you in the area that you occupy and i just don't think they had that standard um, and I think yeah, that's why I lost respect for it. Yeah, Tangata Whenua even said to the people, please leave the land, you know, you're harming everything, you're, you know, and these people just had no respect for, you know, our Māori people and the land or anything, you know, just it was so, like, inconsiderate, really. It, I saw this meme about how it was like watching cavemen, and I kind of agree because they discovered fire in the end. It, it's just, <laughs> Love it that. was just not great. You know, this could have been done in a so much better manner. You know, like how when we went on our trip, we had those little shower tents. Like, where were where was the facilities to cope with this mm. stuff? Like, the portaloos were there in the beginning, but that was oh, they not going to They smelled, though. Sorry? Like that was the problem. That, that was, like, that's the problem why there was no organisation, right? Because none of, like they thought like, it'd kind of be like a couple of days and they'd be gone. And then it yeah. just turned into something bigger and bigger. And I think that fault kind of lies with the response. Because um, they were kind of left to just keep doing what they want. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure if that was the best response. I think, yes, it... it created the least amount of conflict all right we're um, gonna have to because i've only got two minutes 30 according to this because i've only got the free trial of zoom which sucks so we're gonna have just wrap up points on the issue of the protesters jack wrap up points um someone else got it was it was messy it could have been organized better which would have made it go a whole lot better which would have also made the response to it a whole lot better I reckon an organization should have just picked it up and said, all right, we're going to support this and allow like provided facilities because they are available, but they were not at the protest. And I think the police and or the government should have stepped up once it started getting violent and messy and dirty. That's when it should have ended, not here and now when it's dangerous. Despite its many issues, uh, it brought conspiracy theories, anti-government views to the mainstream uh, where it can be judged and we'll see what's going to happen now because I don't think it's over. 
course yeah, it's not I, over. I think they'll be back, which means I'm going to have to miss out on question time more. Irritating. <laughs> and my law campus. Kind of sucks, but that's all right. Alrighty, folks. Um, this is a shorter episode than usual just because we haven't really worked out the Zoom because we've only got 40 minutes of Zoom time. Um, so what we are going to be doing next week is we'll probably go back to these points. We might do with the full team a bit more of a depth into both Ukraine invasion, where it's at um, when we do the episode next, uh, and also where the, the protest lies. So we might be doing that next week or when the time suits us um, for as a collective. Other than that, uh, welcome back, of course, to season two. We hope you enjoyed your, this first little snippet of it. Um, we'll try and get the Zoom recording a little bit more than just organised, kind of like what the protest should have been about. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, thank you, of course, to Jack and Kate for tuning in as well. Thanks for being here. It's great to be able to continue. Thanks to, to you, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, listeners. Kia ora. <laughs>